Man, we want to say good morning to the online audience and for those who will be watching later this week, we say good morning to you and hopefully you can be with us some Sunday soon. Well, we are in a new series uh, that for the past couple of weeks called C4. Um, we spent the first two weeks talking about uh, uh, the person of Christ and the message of Christ. And we're moving into the second part of C4, which is calling. And we have an incredible speaker for you this morning. Um, Dr. Pastor Dana Cavallaro is going to come up and bring God's word for us. So let's give her a hand as she comes up. God bless you guys. Thank you. Am I on? Ah, yes. Hallelujah. Victory already. It's great. Last week, um, our grandson was in the service with us, and when he saw this slide, he said, Nana, that's an explosive. <laughs> My first thought was, how do you know that? I'm still not sure. But when you put all those things together... With the power of the Holy Spirit, it is explosive. You know, in the first week, Pastor Bad preached on the person of Jesus Christ, who he was. He was fully divine. He was the Son of God, and he was fully human, the Son of Man. And last week, Pastor Matt talked about the message of Christ. He told us that we needed to repent. That was the message that Christ brought, to turn to God for the kingdom of heaven was at hand because Jesus was in our midst. And you know, something about the kingdom of heaven that I just love is that it reverses everything that the world tries to put on us, right? In the kingdom, poverty is no longer seen as restrictive, but Jesus comes and he fills up all of our needs. To hunger is not a terrible thing. It's a wonderful thing to hunger for God. You see, he takes all those things that could bring shame, and when he touches it, it brings honor. And today we're talking about calling, the calling of Jesus. Now, the word call is very, very common in the Bible. Do you know there are over 20 different Hebrew and Greek words that mean call? And you'll be so delighted to know I'm not going to talk about all of them. But they all fall into like four different categories. And the first one is to speak out in the way of prayer. Jeremiah says, call to me, talking about God. When we call to God, God's going to answer us. David writes many times in the Psalms to call out to God. The second one is to summon or, or appoint. God says also in Jeremiah, I'm calling the tribes of the north. The third one is to name a person or thing God called the light day, right? He called the darkness night in Genesis. But the fourth one is to invite people to accept salvation through Christ, and that's where we're landing today. We're looking at those things, and how important is that? Now, this last usage indicates a call by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, whenever the Holy Spirit is involved, it's explosive because it requires a change. You know, most of us don't embrace change easily. We kind of need to be coaxed into it. Or sometimes God allows situations so that we're forced to change. 
But the Holy Spirit comes, he brings change, and that's an explosive force because he does what you and I cannot do. So let's look at some different kinds of calling. Number one, this calling is a heavenly calling. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling, when God calls us, it's a call from heaven. So we're to fix our thoughts on Jesus. We're to have that unbroken gaze. Secondly, it's a holy calling. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. He's called us to a holy life. He's called us out of the world and out of the way we were living into a holy place. Paul writes in Ephesians, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. You see, I can't do that on my own, but he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, we're talking about that kind of explosion. Next, it's a calling that's not based on human standards. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. It's not like the Lord said, okay, you, you got it together. I will call you. You, on the other hand, not so much. He doesn't use worldly standards. My father was in the military, so I grew up moving um, every couple of years. In the sixth grade, he got orders toward the end of my sixth grade year. We moved in April. And we moved from California to Washington, D.C., and there was just enough time that I had to go to school. So for a month and a half, I started six, I, well, actually, I finished, I started and finished sixth grade in, in, um, in Northern Virginia. I don't think anybody ever knew my name the whole time I was there. I was the new kid from California. It's a new girl from California. I'll never forget one day we had uh, recess or gym or whatever it was called. Uh, that you do with sixth graders. And we brought, the, the teacher brought out wiffle ball. I'd never seen a wiffle ball before, a plastic bat and a ball with holes. I played um, on a softball team, and we had, like, wooden bats and real balls. Um, I thought the wiffle ball was a little silly, but anyway, that's what you did. And so um, uh, they took two captains and each captain called their team I'll take them I'll take him I'll take the girl from California I'll you know and so like most of the girls we ended up somewhere out in the outfield now what I remember about this day is that it was very very windy very windy I had long straight hair at the time and my hair was blowing all over and I couldn't keep it out nobody could it was a windy day which is very important to this story so somebody hit the ball, it went with a gust of wind, because wiffle balls don't go all that far, but the gust of wind carried it out toward us. I remember some guy took the ball, and he quickly lobbed it to me, and he said, throw it, throw it, and everybody said, throw it, throw it. I took the wiffle ball, and I beamed it underhand. That's my first mistake right there. I was a little nervous, so I just took it and just threw it, but instead, Instead of lobbing it like you would in a fast-pitch softball, I released it a little high, just as another gust of wind came and blew the ball over my head in slow motion. 
over the ditch, over the road, and into the ditch across the street, at which point I single-handedly ended the game. <laughs> From that point on, I was no longer chosen in the middle. I was chosen last. Ugh, I'll take the girl from California. She can't throw a ball. In the meantime, I was the one praying every day right before gym. God, please don't let us play wiffle ball. We ended out the entire rest of the year playing wiffle ball every day. I know what it's like not to be chosen first or second or third or fourth. I think there were 35 kids in my class. Perhaps some of you remember those days where team captains were chosen for whatever it was. And you remember sitting there thinking, oh, God, please don't let me be last. And that's the way I felt that, that entire rest of the school year. You see, when God calls you, he doesn't base it on your past. He doesn't base it on your worst day. He bases it on what Jesus did for you. Because he looks at you indeed through rose-colored glasses, and those glasses are covered with the blood of Jesus. And he doesn't say, yeah, I saw that mistake you made. I don't know if I want you on my team. He said, I love you so much. I was willing to go to the cross for you. I call you first. Aren't you glad he doesn't use human standards? And lastly, it's a universal calling. Matthew says of Jesus, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not, call, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Again, in Luke, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then Peter writes, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Anyone. But to everyone, he wants them to come to repentance. There is enough room on God's team for everyone. It's not like there's only 50 slots and we're all vying for them. This isn't a competition. God calls us because he loves us. If you have your Bibles or, or your phone, you might want to turn to Matthew 22 because that's where we're going to camp for a little bit. Because God's call demands a response. Just because he calls doesn't mean you're on the team. Let's start reading in verse 1. Jesus, told his, the, he, Jesus also told them other parables. Now, he was talking to his disciples and those that were listening, but I want to set this in context. This is the last week of Jesus' life. We've already had the triumphal entry. We've already gone through the events of Monday. This probably takes, some, takes place somewhere between Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, I don't know about you, but if I know that, that I'm going to be away for a while, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really think about the last things I'm going to say. I'm not going to fill it with a bunch of empty words, but what is it that Jesus is trying to say through this parable? The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. 
So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fatted cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to a farm and another to a business. Others seized his messengers and they insulted them. They even killed them. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed that there was a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. And friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. And then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and his feet and throw them into outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is where we're going to land in verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. For a long time, I didn't really understand this verse. Many are called, few are chosen. How do I know that I'm chosen? What, what's that? I know, I know what it's like not to be chosen. What does this mean? And so let's unpack this together today. Let's talk about the wedding feast for a moment. It was the groom's father's responsibility to plan and pay for the wedding. Pastor Brad is not in at this moment, but I do hope he gets to hear this. He has six daughters and two sons. I wonder if he ever wonders or wishes that he was living in the first century. It was the groom's family that was responsible for the entire feast. The size of the feast indicated the wealth and influence of the father. Now, I want you to notice that the two elements here, the bulls and the cattle, they're both plural. This was not a little banquet. This was a huge banquet. We have no idea how many bulls were slaughtered and how many, how many heads of cattle were killed. We don't know. But we do know this father was extremely wealthy and he had prepared. This was not a feast from McDonald's. We're going Ruth Chris. And I'm sure the tables were laden with side items as well. This was something that he had planned for. Think about the invitation. Save the date cards had been sent. They knew the groom was engaged. A wedding feast was occurring. It wasn't like they had any social media or even a newspaper, a telephone. I don't even know if they had a town crier. So they had to send people out and say, hey, today's the day. It's the wedding. Come on. Let's go. When the banquet was ready, the servants took the message out. To turn down an invitation was to dishonor the father and shame the son. Now think about that for a moment. To turn it down is to dishonor the father and shame the son. When God calls us and we don't say yes, we're dishonoring him and shaming Jesus. The rendering of verse 9 in Greek reads like this. Go, therefore, to the busiest intersection you can find. I think the King James says, to the highways and the byways. Invite everyone that you can find. Everyone. 
Think about your neighborhood, the streets that you traverse to get to church. Where are the busiest intersections? Maybe somewhere in Greenbrier in front of Chick-fil-A? Go, find, find people, find whomever. You see, one of the reasons that Jesus is telling this parable is he's setting the scene for what's going to happen after he dies. We know that Jesus came as a Jewish person to the Jews. And in John chapter 1, John tells us that he came into his own and his own received him not. And so Jesus, through this parable, is opening up the door for the Gentiles. He's opening up the door for the unclean. In the next couple of chapters, he tells a few more parables, and it says specifically that he came for the sinner, for the tax collector, for the prostitute, for the one who steals and kills. He came for those people. That's where the invitation came. Now, the many and the few... Jesus is revealing an open invitation. Only those who respond to the call appropriately can be a party to this banquet. Their acceptance of the invitation reveals that they've been chosen by God. Now, there was a man that showed up in just regular clothes. What was he thinking? One of the things we know is that this king was so wealthy to prepare this kind of food that most scholars feel like he also prepared the wedding garment as well. So that when you came, he would then give you a, a wedding garment. And it would probably be white. But this man that, that came, this one single man that's mentioned, he didn't change his clothes. Maybe he looked down and said, you know, I washed them yesterday. They're clean. They, they don't smell so bad. I'm, I'm adequate. He was trying to get in doing things his way. If we're coming into the kingdom, we've got to do things God's way. I know what it's like to, to be in a situation where you're not dress quite properly. I, I shared this on a Wednesday night. I was in college, and I was invited to the University of Illinois for a conference where other uh, reps from uh, universities and colleges throughout the entire Midwest came. They flew us there, and they put us up in a hotel, and I got an invitation um, that came with the packet that said on the Saturday night there was going to be a cocktail reception by the swimming pool. Now, what I read that jumped out at me was swimming pool. <laughs> swimming pool. And I had gone by and I had I checked out the pool. It was huge and it was heated. And it was kind of snowing outside. I thought, how cool is that? We're a bunch of college kids. So I dressed very, very carefully. I put on my best jeans. I got them from the um, Avon. Yeah, wow, I was right. Yeah. They had two little heart rhinestones on the back. You think, gee, how do you remember this? You'll see in just a moment. I put on my bathing suit first, and I had the, um, the, the tie here. I left a little tie hanging out so people would know I had my bathing suit on, but I was not going to just come down in my bathing suit. So I had my jeans and a, and a, um, a big shirt overneath. I had on wooden clogs. That was very cool at the time with no socks. I'd like to think I was a trendsetter, but anyway. 
And I remember I got there just a little late, um, and I, I wanted to peek in the door, but because the pool was heated, the doors were all steamed up. So I opened both doors at the same time, and I stood there, and I, I, my jaw dropped. The guys are in tuxedos, and the girls are in, like, prom dresses or cocktail dresses. And I thought, I'm going to back up very slowly, and I'm going to shut the door. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to pray that God opens the ground. <laughs> That's really how humiliated I felt. But before I could do that, um, the rep for my area saw me and immediately ran over, took my hand and said, I want you to meet these executives that just flew in from L.A. I'm looking at him. Do you not see what humiliation looks like? Do you not see what shame is dripping off of me? I, I had a very hard time um, getting away. I greeted people graciously. I'm sure they thought, oh, sweet little girl from a small Christian college. She probably doesn't even own a dress. <laughs> this guy walks into the banquet, and he's the only one that's not dressed appropriately. And he doesn't leave. Because, see, there's a lot of people who think I can get into the kingdom on my own terms. I'm, I'm good enough. What I have is going to be all right. God, God accepts everybody, right? Isn't that what grace is all about? And Jesus lets them know, you come into my kingdom on my terms. Listen to Revelation 3. Go back to what you heard and believed at first, he's telling the church at Sardis. Hold to it firmly, repent, and turn to me. If you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly as an unexpected thief. Yet there are some in the church who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They'll walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And all who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. You see, we come into this great feast that we've been invited to as a part of the body of Christ. And God says, I want you here so much, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the invitation that cost my son everything. In fact, as I was praying about this this week, I thought, I wonder what that invitation would look like. Like, would it be, would it be um, like gold embossed? Would it be engraved? What would it look like? And then I felt like the Lord just whispered into my heart, every one of those words is written in blood. Because that's what that invitation costs. He provided the invitation. He's given you the call. And then he says, and by the way, I'm even going to dress you. You don't even have to worry what to wear. You don't have to worry. I've got it covered. And it's wider than anything you could ever come up with. And it's more beautiful than anything that you can ever come up with because it's been washed in my blood. That's what God does for us. Again, in Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. Why am I without fault? Because of what Jesus did. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read this, I just want to say, God, wash me. Wash me again. Take off the dust of the world. Take off the evil that sometimes just presses in on us. I want to be presented to you the way you want me to. I want to come on your terms. John Calvin writes this, Adam's fall had the effect of producing the ruin of many. The grace of God is much more efficacious in benefiting many since admittedly, get this, Christ is much more powerful to save than Adam was to ruin. Amen. So much more powerful. The called are the ones invited. The chosen are those that accept the invitation. John 15 says, you did not choose me, but, but I chose you. God did choose us. He's choosing every one of us, but it's up to us to say, I want to be chosen. We don't have to stand in the back and beg, oh, God, choose me. Please choose me. God's like, I gave you the invitation. It's just up to you to say yes. The choice to be chosen is yours. F.F. Bruce, a New Testament scholar, says the feast is a parable of the gospel and the blessing which it holds out to believers. The invitation to believe the gospel and enjoy its blessing goes out to all who hear it. The invitation, come and dine, come. Jesus is standing at the door. Please let me in. Wow. The God of the universe is calling you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. You know, I don't call anybody I don't know. If you're not in my contact list and I answer the phone, there's a good chance, I, and it doesn't say who it is, I'm not going to answer it. Listen, God's got your number in his phone. And he doesn't have some kind of robo-calling going on in heaven. There's not like angels sitting there at a bank of telephones calling. When God calls you, it's personal. And he knows your name. And he knows everything about you. And it never, ever stops him from calling. So what does a called and a chosen life look like? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must... Forget about himself, and he must take up his cross and follow me. Now, Jesus says this in, in other places in the, in the Gospels as well. In Matthew 11, he says, take up your cross, follow me. He uses that term, follow me, when he calls um, Peter and Andrew. Again, when he calls James and John. Again, when he calls Matthew. Again, when he calls you and me. It's a call to follow him. He said, you must take up, his, take up his cross. Now, I didn't fully understand what, what does that mean, take up his cross. He hasn't been crucified yet. What does that mean? In the first century, if you ever said to anybody, take up your cross, it meant this, be ready to die. They understood the cross. Romans were crucifying people all the time. And they wouldn't carry the whole cross. They would just carry this cross beam on their back up to the place where they were going to, to be crucified. And this is a call. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your friends? 
Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your family? If it means losing your reputation? If it means losing your job or losing your life? That's what Jesus is saying here. He must forget about himself. The word there is deny. Aparnomai. It means to deny, disown, renounce, disregard. And follow there means to follow as a disciple, but it means to also to imitate. Listen to what 1 Peter says. If I can have the worship team come. 1 Peter 2.21, for... To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving behind for you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now that word follow there, it's the same word that was used in Matthew, but they've added a prefix, epi. It means that you're going to follow after that one to carefully follow after someone with the goal of replicating what he or she does. The call is to replicate the life of Jesus. We must be so committed to follow him that we step in his very footprints. In his very footprints. What's that like? I was, um, I was training for, for a race, and my friend, her husband, is a, is a um, Navy a, Academy grad he had run maybe 12 or 13 marathons she said why don't you run with greg i said okay she said he keeps really really good pace and that would be great so we made all the arrangements and um i met him at seashore state park and i was going to uh, run with him now i need to tell you greg's a little taller than me like a lot so I don't know, maybe his MC like 34, 36. I mean, he runs like a gazelle, and next to him I look like a bunny rabbit. So we start running, and I realize the only way I'm ever going to make this 10-mile run is to put my feet where his feet are. I can't look to the left. I can't look to the right. I'm running on trails I don't know. I have to trust that he knows the way. I want you to hear this. I don't know where I'm going, but he does because he's been there before. And so he realized my pace and, and he slowed down just a, just a little bit. He shortened his gait. I wasn't looking at any other runners. I wasn't looking at the trees. I wasn't looking at anything. I was looking at if he steps here, I've got to step there. If he steps here, I got to step there. And right behind him, I ran. I remember we got to this big log, and I thought, oh, he's going to get that in one, one fell swoop. Just, and I'm going to have to stop and climb over it. And he stopped, and he took, he took my hand, and he helped me up over it, and then we kept going. And he never said, gee, what's the problem? Couldn't you jump that? He knew what I was capable of. I finished that day running 10 miles just going in his steps. That's what it means to follow in the steps of Jesus. It means we don't look to the left and the right. We don't compare ourselves to others. We don't say, well, gee, they're more worthy or, or look at them, they're faster. Or look at them, they have a ministry or they do things. It means I'm just following Jesus. And if he says, if he says left, I say left. If he says right, I say right. 
And I don't worry about the big logs in the way. I don't worry about those huge circumstances because I know he's going to help me over them because that's what he promises in his word. If we say yes to his call, if he says, follow me, and we say, I'm all in, I will follow you. Then he says, you just, you just imitate my footsteps. They're going to be different for you, and they're going to be different for you, and different for you, and he makes them just for us. Why? Because he loves us. And today I want you to know that God has given you an invitation. And he said it's not based on what you've done. It's not based on, on what you perceive about yourself. It's based on me and what my son has done. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Holy Spirit, I pray, God, you would, you would send your Holy Spirit to walk between every, every row and up and down every aisle. You are talking to people right now. God, you are touching hearts right now. Lord, you could be healing right now because your presence is here in this place. Praise you, Jesus. If you're here today and you have never said fully yes to Jesus, I want to pray with you. If you just raise your hand, I want to pray. If you've never fully said yes, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. February 11th, 2024 could be the day that everything changes. It can be the day that the Holy Spirit brings that explosion of change. Thank you, Jesus. Perhaps you're here and you say, yeah, I said yes to Jesus, but I, I think I've, I'm, not, I'm not totally following in his footsteps. I'm, I'm trying to, I've wandered a little bit. And you say, I want to get back on track today. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Praise you, Jesus. Father, I want to pray today for all of those. Lord, I want to pray for all of those who raise their hands. God, you're doing something in this place. Lord, you are calling us again. Give us ears so big that it blocks out every other sound but yours. Lord, we want to walk in your footprints. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Would you stand with me? I'm going to call the prayer team up. If you would like someone to agree with you today, maybe you're, you just want someone to say, would you just please pray over me that I'll be able to keep my eyes focused on Jesus, that I'll walk in his steps. Maybe you're here and you need a healing and you want someone to pray with you. Our prayer team is here. 